See what I'm liking? I'm liking where we're heading. Lobster podcast, Slick Lobster podcast. We're back. Yeah, it's Christmas time. It's been a minute. It's been a hot minute since we've been in the shop. Since we, we've been roaming, oh, living large down oh, at the range. Bloody Irig Roman. However, today our special guest on the chair is. It's Driller. It is it's Driller. Driller. Driller Jet Armstrong. We don't take Amic. We certainly <laughs> do. <laughs> not since not since ninety nine. <laughs> Uh, Driller, welcome to Slick Lobster. I'm liking the vibe here, it's good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come and chat to us on the Slick Lobster podcast. Um, basically, you don't know much, oh, we, we sent you a bit of a spiel, but basically what we do here is we like do to... Do homework. <laughs> we, we prefer that. But we basically talk to people in Adelaide doing cool things about their journey and their life and kind of how it ties in with Adelaide and where we're going, we just have a big old chat. Uh, and you're a bit of a legend in the Adelaide scene. <laughs> mic up, mic up, mic up. Mic up, mate, mic up. So, for those who perhaps aren't familiar with your work, uh, would you like to give a bit of a, just a brief rundown on kind of uh, what it is you do uh, and kind of, yeah, a bit of your background of your story? So, um, where to start? What I do now is I run Sugar pretty much 24-7 um, with a team. Um, I'm part of a team. Um, I DJ at private functions around the country a bit. Um, I'm off to Sydney this weekend um, on Saturday night. I'm playing Channel 7's Christmas party on Friday night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a pretty good gig. It's big bucks. It That's would be. Great. It's big bucks. Um, Where is that? It's... Uh, at some place c- I haven't been before called Carrara or something in Gilbert Place. It's like a... Oh. used to be in Peel Street and they just opened this new joint. Okay. So oh. that's on Friday night. Yeah. Um, See you there. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll be there. Got my name. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, and I'm still making my Dorbus style artwork. Yes. Um, where I buy other people's paintings and daub on them and that's been pissing a lot of people off lately, which is good because... It's good to offend people. All right. Ooh. So we're going to get into a bunch of these different topics. So since you bring it up, let's let's hit the art first. Sure. So, Dorbism. You so basically started this, right? Yeah, started in 91. I started doing it. A friend um, a friend opened up um, or actually took over Ayers House restaurant. Yeah. And there was a bunch of Charles Bannon's uh, paintings hanging on the wall. Yep. Um, Bannon was the... Uh, was the father of the premier John Bannon, yeah. but he was also an artist in his own right. He um, he won the Blake Prize for religious for religious painting, and he helped start um, uh, the art magazine Broad uh, Sheet, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
he was a pretty well-known artist, but so my friend didn't like the paintings that were hanging in the in the thing, so he he um he took them to uh, an auction house and they had them there for twelve months. And when they didn't sell, he rang his he rang him and said, "Can you come pick them up?" So he asked me if I needed any canvases to paint on, which artists often get, you know, secondhand canvases and paint over them. Yeah. So I did, and then um, I took them home. And one night I was uh, smoking some weed in my studio, and I, I had um, I had a whole pile of science mags open to images of crop circles. Yes. Strange, uh, strange marks left in paddocks by whatever by yes. sources or crazy farmers, bored farmers. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I saw these images and I looked over and there was Charles Bannon's painting of the Olgas sitting there. So I don't know what came over me, but I just had this crazy idea to make a stencil of one of the crop circle images and spray it onto directly onto the painting, Yeah, which I did, which caused um, a major outrage when he found out what I'd done. He took me to the Federal Court of Australia, but obviously um, back then there were no moral rights legislations uh, in place. He was going to lose, so, um, uh, you know, I just said to him, look, Charles, you know, I don't want to upset you, you know, why don't you just buy it? I mean, it was 600 bucks. Yeah. You know, here you are paying all these lawyers and this and that, you know, you could have just bought it. Yeah. And taken it home and done whatever you like with it. Yeah. You know. So, um, that's what happened in the end. I sold it to him um, outside the court and uh, the case was settled like that. But it, 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 it caused a massive uh, uh, outrage all around the country, uh, you know, um, and my work was, like, vilified and marginalised <laughs> and I was getting into fights in pubs over it and <laughs> shit, you know. It was fucking ridiculous, to be honest. It really was. Um, and then, you know, 25 years later, you know, I've got Peter Luca from Arts SA opening up an exhibition and admitting that 25 years ago when I did what I did, everybody was wrong yeah. and I was the only one that was right yeah you know because now even Banksy's painting over other people's paintings and no one says shit about it but sure you know, this actually started here in Adelaide you know so you are effectively the original Banksy <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's probably a stretch but <laughs> yes it's probably a stretch but I do know that that um, you know from time to time people send me images uh, you know that, that they've seen on Facebook of other people in other countries doing what I did 25 years ago you yeah know? And occasionally, I, I send the person that they're you know that they've put up my website yeah. or a link to some of my work. Yeah. And um, I did that with this American dude, you know, so an artist painting like this. And I sent him my, and he wrote, and he, and he wrote back to me, "Are you the richest artist in Australia?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "No, oh, far mate. from it. Yeah. Far from it." He goes, "Well, if you were living here, you would be." Wow. wow. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Makes me feel like shit, hey. Yeah. I mean, you know, unsupported, you know. Um, like, you know, I just don't know what it is about this town. I just don't know. I don't so get it. All right. So, do you think that it's an Adelaide thing? Do you think it's an Australian thing, a mentality around... Or is it just you were so far ahead of the curve that it is, as you say, it's just starting to register now. Do you think you might be heading into a bit of a, a renaissance of Driller where you like people will finally start getting it and you will get your... Your dues. Your dues, your rewards just later on in life? 
I'm not sure if it's my personality that gets in the way. <laughs> Maybe when I'm dead. <laughs> People might go, actually, yeah, his art wasn't bad. He was awesome. <laughs> because, that, like, I mean, and, and recently, I believe, I've read a couple of things of late where uh, yep. there's been a bit of controversy. Do you, want, do you want to just run us through kind of what's happened recently and why that's any different to what's happened in the last okay, 25 right. years? Right, so, so you know, working in this way for 25 years, yeah. painting on people's paintings over and over again, religiously, yeah. you know, creating a huge body of work. Over that time, you kind of come to certain conclusions because of you, you're working in this way. Yeah. And one of the conclusions that I came to was that every time I see a Western European-style version of the Australian landscape, mm. I'm being presented with terra nullius. Mm. It's an empty landscape with yep. no sign of any indigenous culture that you can own, yep. right? So, so I thought, well, then what I should do, and I, I thought it was about 10 years ago, and um, I should start... I should start painting some Aboriginal imagery back into these, <laughs> into these landscapes, yeah. right? As a philosophical... As a favour, yeah. as a favour yeah. to yeah. our brothers. As a retelling <laughs> of history, yeah, the right. way it actually was. So, so I, I started doing that. And then recently, I had a big show at Handorf and um, a local lady went in and looked at the work and was so offended that she contacted the, um, the Kimberley people who owned the image of the Wanjana yep. and uh, and dobbed me in basically. So then without anybody seeing, actually seeing the work, suddenly everybody is trying to stop me making this work. As though, that, that as though I've just done it to be a dickhead, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you know, when my work has been about indigenous rights for at least 10 years, yeah. solidly, you know, with work after work that I can just point to quite easily, yeah. focused on... Things like the Stolen Generation, you yeah. know, um, Marbo and Wick and Land Rights and Deaths in Custody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know? Yeah. Do, uh, do you think that this is all part of just this big picture of just totally misunderstanding your art and what you're doing? This is just another version of it? it you know, like, it's not very, it's not often that you get to do this twice in your lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> You know, where people just totally yeah yeah it's so. I'm not sure I'm going to be around in 25 years time, but I wish I could be just to say just to see have a, a see third, a you were wrong again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. You so w what is it about culture then? Why why do people not want to straight up just ask you kind of what it's about first? It's it's the, it's this thing. It's a it's. It's this thing that people are creating, which is a culture of apartheid, right? Apartheid culture. Yep. We cannot mix these cultures with yep. that culture, which is absolute crap. Yeah. You know, culture is fluid. Yeah. It overlaps. It's like a Venn diagram. Yes. You know, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, um, you know, white people stole the blues. <laughs> you know, um, oh, you know, but without white people stealing the blues, we wouldn't have Elvis. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and then they don't come. They don't sort of recognise things like um, the greatest, probably the greatest jazz album of all time, "Headhunters" by Herbie Hancock, was actually the rhythms were actually ripped from two French ethno ethnographers who uh, recorded pygmies 
drumming yeah, right. and he ripped it straight from that and never right. and never claimed never named his source yeah and uh, when it was put to him that, that, that he'd ripped the, off the pygmy music, he just said, oh, well, we're all out of Africa, really, aren't we? And, <laughs> it, and, and in a way, he's true. Yeah. We are, we are all out of Africa. Yeah. Culture came, you know. Yeah. Ho- sapiens started in Africa. Yeah. Fact. So this whole idea of appropriation, right, which is you know, the borrowing ideas from other cultures, you're just totally cool with it. Well, I'm... I'm a DJ as well, yeah. so so of course sampling and yeah. scratching and cu- copying and pasting and cutting um, affects my my artwork. It's just a matter of process in my everyday life. Yeah. You know, it's just part of my life. Yeah. And, and and without cultural appropriation, we wouldn't have hip hop. This is very true. You Absolutely. Um, do you, so do you think that like everybody's kind of just overreacting to all of it, or is it a misunderstanding? Is it just a a lack of education or where is the misunderstanding like why is it look you know what are you talking about when you say cultural appropriation are you talking about people ripping off aboriginal images and putting them on t-shirts yeah because if so that's that's bad yeah right but if you're creating something new yeah that the world hasn't seen before yeah at using cultural appropriation then that's good yeah you know. Especially when it's backed by a message that's actually trying to exactly, do something exactly. super positive and bring awareness yeah, to, yeah. to the history I, of I Australia. Just, seriously, I just don't get, get why people don't understand that yeah. at, at the moment. Yeah. They will do eventually, but, yeah. but at the moment it, it just puzzles me. Yeah. I'm bewildered by it. Yeah. So what do you think, or at what point do you think this will change if you think it will change at all? Do you, do you reckon it's coming? I just think I just keep doing what I do. Yeah. I just keep doing it and, and you know, just get on with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, what really pisses me off, though, is that um, Lisa and Jared down at Colton Harper, yeah. you know, wanted to show my work. Yep. They've, they've, seen, they've seen the work. We've discussed the work in, you know, in huge depth yeah in real depth with artists yeah as artists together talking about this work yeah and um and and then you know um the state basically uh gives them a startup premises you know backed by renew adelaide yeah and then renew ring them you know or start sending them emails saying that they can't show my work i mean Uh, i mean that's what happened these are yeah that's what happened so like these are cutting edge artists being told by renew adelaide what can and cannot be shown in their art gallery, you know? That's garbage. That it's absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. So, so once again, the show's been completely censored. No one's allowed to see it. And except, uh, you know, I've just been selling them off Facebook, you know, basically. Or if you want to pop any in the old Slick Lobster, yeah, you're more yeah, than welcome yeah, to hang stuff wherever you want. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I want to buy one. Yeah, cheers. I'd love to. No, I've been selling, I'm selling a lot of yeah. them lately, actually. Um. Okay, so the art, like, since this whole recent flare-up of late, has it started to die down again now? Like, do you think it, it just... No, people... It's kind of die out. <laughs> um, it, people just won't talk about it. Okay. People just will not talk about it. You know, they won't, um, they won't contact me and advise me, you know, on ways to go forward with this, you know? Yeah. Um, not that I think that the work because they, because nobody's seen the work it's hard to even know what, what which ones are offensive yeah, you know yeah. or which ones people are finding it weird because i'm sorry but 
most of these images are complete hybrids of rock art images from 40,000 years ago and Keith Haring breakdances, you know, so it's like original <laughs> spirit beings yeah. mixed up with Keith. I mean, it, the work owes as much to Keith Haring as it does to, you know, Aboriginal rock art. Yeah. You know? So for your future art, does it make you change what you do? No, definitely not. No, in you fact, just keep doing your thing. No, in fact, I'm one of those assholes that where if you tell him not to do it, he's just going to do it more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. I like that. Um, what do you think about the general art scene in Adelaide at the moment? I, um, you know, it's it's nice. Yep. You know, there's a lot of people making nice images. Yep. But um, you know, which is fine. But but I mean. There's not many people making political images yeah. or, you know... Is it a bit safe? It's pretty safe. Yeah. It's pretty safe. Not that... I'm not saying that there's not massive skill required to, you know, to paint huge murals, you know, women's faces on walls. Is, it's, it, it's great. Yeah. It's great, you know, and, there, and there's a place for it, absolutely. But, but you're not changing the world. Yeah. You're not adding anything new. Yeah. You know... Um, are there particular political or controversial artists that you have looked up to or have admired or get inspiration from? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's, in fact, art history is actually littered with, with artists who have worked in this way. Yeah. But nobody has ever focused on this as a way of working like I do. Yeah. Particularly because um, the Australian landscape means so much more politically yeah. in this country than does the the English countryside. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, there's a massive difference between the English countryside and the Australian landscape. Yeah. And so that brings with it so a heap of extra charge. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, all, it's all charged with ownership and property and, you know, invasion and trespass and yeah. all these things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's loaded with that. Whereas paintings of the English countryside are not, yeah. you know. The Cotswolds aren't exactly no, lighting no. the world on fire. Yeah. So, so, I mean, but there are artists in Europe who have painted on other people's paintings and they, they inspire me. There's people like Asger Jorn, who was one of the situationists who hung out with the anarchist Guy Debord. Yep. Um, and they've written extensively on, you know, on uh, bringing two, two disparate objects together, forms a hybrid and creates something completely new. Yeah. Um, then you've got artists like Sherry Levine who, you know, would go into uh, famous art galleries in the States and photograph um, famous photographers' photographs yeah. and then present them as her own work. Yeah. Because as Sherry Levine said, it's, you know, the world is full to suffocating of images. You know, every, every image, every token has been mortgaged. So the plagiarist no longer bears with him any, you know, responsibility other than just stealing whatever they can and using whatever they want. Yeah. When, when people look back on your work later on down the track, potentially even after you do die, what do you want your legacy to kind of be? Like, what, how do you want people to understand your work after you're gone? Which, obviously, with hindsight and a bit of perspective, hopefully people start to get it. But what would you like them to kind of see as, as your art ages? I'd like them to think that I made something new mm. that hadn't been done before. Mm. And I'd like... I'd hope that it would um, actually reach the point where uh, it became culturally relevant and culturally significant. Yeah. Do you reckon they'll study you one day? 
Well, um, apparently they're doing that anyway at university. Yeah. So yes, they probably will. Yeah, I mean, um, there was there was this there was a friend of mine, and he and he showed me a um, like a you know when they hand you an assignment, and it was basically the the Charles Bannon case, but my name was changed to Drifter something, (laughs) Drifter Armstring. So, so I just like contacted the uni and said, you know, like at least get my name right. Yeah, get my name right. <laughs> and, and you know, do you want some images that you can yeah. put up on your wall? Yeah, you know? give a presentation, <laughs> give your first hand tape. Yeah. yeah, so, so, so at least they do now use my proper <laughs> name proper and name. talk about the case properly. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, we'll shift gears a little bit now. Your, as you kind of alluded to before, but your artwork. You're, you're, you as an artist extends beyond just painting and stuff. You actually are a bit of a DJ and a record enthusiast. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on your history with records, especially now that they're kind of cool again and uh, what DJing and stuff like? Well, what, now what <laughs> give, us, um, give us that backstory. Well, now they're cool again. I'm actually uh, I've switched to a USB stick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and I've got this this thing where I I have to record a certain number of records every day and make them into MP3s yeah. from my record collection. You know. So you're like digital. Digitally um, transferring them to all of yeah, your entire through, record collection. Yeah, through Ableton Live. Yeah. How many do you do a day? I like to get at least three done a day because it's, it's actually, you can't do it any other way but in real time. What? So you have to play it from start to finish and then you've got to trim the, the ends up and, you know, the start and the end, you know. Question one, how many records do you have in your collection? 10,000. Yeah. Question two, okay, okay. listening to three albums that you probably haven't heard for Not, ages every day, it is, is quite, that dope? It is quite nice, yeah, yeah, yeah it is quite nice. What's, um, what's been the favourite, like, Oh, I remember this album moment that you've had whilst doing this. No, that's a, that's a so regular. I can't even name. Is that right? Name one. There's one like every. But I mean, week. you know, like DJing used to take up um, so much. I used to be really upset that my DJing took up so much from my art. Yeah. But then one day I was in the shower and I had this like I always have revelations in the shower for some Wait, reason. It's a great spot for revelation. And like the water was just on my washing over my head, and I just had this epiphany where I realised that. Working as a DJ is just another extension of me as an artist. Absolutely. It's like an ephemeral, you know, um, thing that happens and disappears. And if you were there, you were there. And if you weren't, you missed it. Yeah. So, um, so that was uh, that was a great moment yeah. actually. Um, and I never really, it never really bothered me at all after that. And I realised that I'm much, I feel more rounded actually by by the two things that yeah. I do. You know, and they're, t- they're my two great loves, art and music. Yeah. You know, I'm so lucky to be doing that. See, as, as a job, to yeah. be able to survive and, and thrive doing that is yep. it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, we might get into some favourite records a bit later on, but um, you also are the proprietor of Sugar Nightclub and have been for quite some time. It's our 15th birthday on December 29th. Um, We've, we've got Crazy P playing. Um, Crazy P? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be pretty good. Um, but yeah, 15 years is like unheard of. Completely unheard sugar's of. Sugar's a bit of an institution in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. Some may say even Australia. Yep. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on how you came to own run Sugar and what you've kind of seen over those 15 years and the, like, the changes in just Adelaide and music and the way... 
culture works around kind of late night uh, dancing? Well, we've always been really um, different from the pack. Yeah, in Adelaide know, or it, Sugar? Well, particularly in Adelaide, yeah. I think. Um, you know, I think you start off with a certain, you know, set of principles that you want to stick to. You want to, you want to kind of keep things real. You know, you want to promote underground music. You want to support young artists and DJs and musicians. Um, and you don't want to play, you don't want to be commercial in any way, you know. And I think we've kind of stuck to that over 15 years, which I'm pretty proud of. Um, people say to me a lot, you know, there's nothing like this really in Adelaide elsewhere, yeah. you know. And some people say to me, I've just got back from overseas and I just miss sugar so much. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Which is lovely, you know, for me to hear that's music to my ears, you know. But I firmly believe that, you know, you can have a premise, you can take over a premises and there's, each premises has its own vibe, yeah. you know, and, no matter, and sometimes no matter what you do in a, in a certain spot, it will, nothing works. Mm. But in other spots, they're like, they've been kissed on the dick, you know, uh, by a fairy or something, because it doesn't matter, you get, you know, you could do, a, you know, you could do poo throwing. We're doing poo throwing, you know, and people would, would be lining up to throw poo at the walls, you yeah. know, and pay. Um, it, it, yeah, so, I mean, the classic example to me of that is, is when Theo Parrish was in Adelaide. Um, he wanted to do a sound check at the club and it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. There was nobody else there. The sun was shining in through the windows, just me and Theo. And, and we walk into the venue, to, got to the top of the stairs. We, we took about five steps and Theo puts his bags down, his record bags, and then surveys the room from side to side and then just exclaimed, man, this place has a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the day. Middle of the day. No one else there, just us. He could feel it. Yeah. There's something going on there. That guy, man, is a guru. Yeah. He's a guru. So you've developed, like you've grown a culture with what kind of sugar represents and it is that kind of alternative. Well, I grew up with, a cu with that culture. Okay, where does it come from? You know, it comes from, you know, the, uh, the very first Toucan Club on King William Road. You know, it, it comes from Bogarts. It comes from, um, you know, Toucan 2. It comes from the Metro. It comes from Limbo. Mm. It comes from the Garage. Mm. It comes from Cuba. Mm. You know, it comes from all those venues. They were all the same kind of vibe. Mm. So... <sighs> You know, I mean, I think that's the best kind of vibe. The one that is going to be long-lasting, mm. you know. So is it, did, like, have you kind of set the tone for what sugar represents? I think so, yeah. And is that, like, it's just like a, a mix of all these kinds of places at different points in time that you've enjoyed that you've wanted to recreate? No, 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 no. It's not, the, it's not a mix of all those places. It's just the essence mm. of all of those places. Yeah. You know, all of those places looked quite different, yeah. but they all had an essence of each other. Yeah. And that is what I said right at the start about the principles of what we are based on, yeah. which is, you know, good people, real people, great music, underground music, yeah. funky talent, you know, friendly staff. Um, 
you know, it's it's about the vibe. It's yeah. totally about the vibe. Yeah. The vibe. <laughs> it's vibe. <laughs> exactly. Um, what is the future for you and for Sugar? Do you still love it? I still love it. Yeah, yeah. I still love it. Um, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. In fact, um, the only time I haven't loved it was when I got cancer. Mm. And when you get cancer, like it's so bizarre. It's like you go into this, you know, you become a weird kind of version of yourself where you just want to, just want to sell everything and wander the fucking desert like Jesus. <laughs> you know, yeah, you do. You, you want to sell everything you've got, your scooters, your fucking records, your house. You know, you just want to want to just get rid of everything for some reason. And then you get better, and then you think, oh, okay, <laughs> I get back to what I was doing before. Wicked. <laughs> that for a little bit like yeah, what yeah. What, is, what was it about is, is it just when faced with mortality like you realise what matters what doesn't and you try and kind of just let go of all the stuff that you kind of consumed and, and weighs you down that's not part of who you are is it yeah that yeah thing? yeah it actually is that it, you know it's a big old perspective change it is and it's a bit like Fight Club you know yeah. you know how in that great line in Fight Club you know where he says you know after a while, the things you own end up owning you. <laughs> Ikea furniture. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you just want to... Yeah, it, 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 it's very weird. So you're in remission? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how much longer I have to be in remission for, but... To, to claim full... Yeah, when does... Where, right? That point? Yeah, I don't even know. When are you out of remission? I don't even know. Good. I don't even know. I don't even know. I still have to keep going back every three months. Yeah, is, okay. it, is it kind of like a gambling addiction where like once an addict, always an addict? <laughs> 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 you just... Oh, I mean you'd it. hope not. The least grim way yeah, possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd hope not, yeah. you know. Um, but How long has it been now since you... It's been since... It's been two years. Oh, okay. Two years. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. And so did you do any desert wandering? Look, uh, I kind of did. Especially, Metaphorically? Especially, especially mentally. Like, yeah. um, I, I got down to 55 kilos and I really wow. actually, yeah, but I really loved being 55 kilos. I just loved it. I was loving myself. Sick. I felt like Kate Moss. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was going to people, oh, you can never be too thin and your eyelashes can never be too fat. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like, um, you know, I got out of the shower one day and my wife looked at me and she goes, oh, my God, babe, you look like you've just got out of Auschwitz. And I go, hey, cut the Nazi shit because the kids at work are calling it heroin chic. And and also, all those clothes that I had in the 70s, I suddenly grew into them again. They're, they're back. <laughs> yeah. They're back, baby. They're back. They're back. So I was wearing, all, you know, paisley shirts and, fl yes. you know, like size eight flares and stuff. And I was just loving myself. But the, um, it was so funny because my, um, my lovely cancer doctor, like genius, um, but quite, um, you know, oh, not very street wise. Yeah. And, there was, and there was a South African nurse who was very street wise yeah. there as well. Yeah. And so one day Caroline weighed me and said, oh God, Driller, look, if you lose one more kilogram, I'm going to have to um, put a, um, uh, a s thing in your stomach to feed you. Mm. 
So on the way home, I said to my wife, there is no fucking way that anyone's going to be, you know, I'm going to be carrying around a bag, you know, to eat. Right? It's not a good look, a peg or whatever they call it. So so when I got home, I went into the shed and I found some old lead, I found a couple of old lead diving weights. Yeah, so so at the next weigh-in, right, and my wife's in on it and she is like shaking her head, but she's going along with it, you know, she goes, you are so naughty. Anyway, so I rock up to the weigh-in and uh, the lovely doctor, you know, quite naive, weighs me and goes, oh, that's good drill. It looks like, you, looks like you know, things might have um, stabilised and you might have even put on a, a little bit as well. And the South African nurse just goes, oh, knowing him, he's probably got lead weights in his pockets. I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Did she investigate further? She didn't investigate further. Oh, but I, I know, right? I'm sitting there going, just going, whoa. Wow. She nailed it. Yeah, she knows. She, she looked nailed it. Well. She looked So that's obviously a pretty transformational time mm. for you. Yeah, um, what? I mean, not really transformational. <laughs> it just makes you stop and think about yeah. stuff yeah. a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, do, it does make you appreciate things more yeah. when you yeah. come through, yeah. definitely. Has that impacted on your resolve to kind of stick with the, the dorbism stuff? Well, I'm, I think it's a bit too late to change anything <laughs> at 60. <Yeah. laughs> you know, if, if I haven't been onto something for the last 25 years, then I might as well shoot myself. <laughs> Um, okay, we'll bring it back to Adelaide now. What, I mean, how long have you been in Adelaide for? I came from London in, when I was seven in um, 1964. So you've been in Adelaide a while? I haven't lived here the whole time, but the majority of yeah. time, yeah. What's your read on Adelaide at the moment? More so from like an arts culture type perspective, because that's your, your wheelhouse. Oh, you know, um, look. I hate, I hate people that want to come up and reminisce. Okay. You know, I don't go to the reunions to catch up with old friends. I'd rather see old friends out with new friends, you know, yeah. now in the club. Not go to a specific thing, you know, because we all used to go to the same place in 19... You know, ninety nine. Yeah. You know, is is that a bit of a thing where kind of there old, is that. old school cats like yeah the yeah. There is a couple of there the is a couple of yearly parties where people go to you know, and do that. But I'm still going out. You yeah. know, I'm well, not like sugar. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like that. I'm still going out, and yeah. and and most of my friends are still twenty five. You know, <laughs> as I, as I've always been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that hasn't changed. No, nothing's changed. I just walk past the mirror and go security. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, that's me. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay. Uh, are there any particular artists or musicians at the moment in Adelaide that resonate There are so with many you? good, there are so many great artists and musicians Go in on. Adelaide at the moment. Who are your favourites? Um, well, look, I, Motez is great. Yeah. Motez is, is killing it. But there's also, you know, there's also the more underground kids that, are, that have kind of moved away and are now living in London or living in Melbourne. Um, I, I do wish that Brad would be making music, Babaka. I think, you know, he's wasted being, being a uh, designer of websites. Yeah. You know, I think uh, his future was really in music. Um, but I mean, there's, yeah, look, there's, there's lots of gr- 
lots of great kids coming through, making their own tunes, you know. Having, like, been around for a while and kind of keeping your finger on the pulse, are you kind of like a bit of a, a godfather to kind of the electronic kind of scene of Adelaide over the last 20 years? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I know that there was a great photograph taken when house music first started in Adelaide in 1989 with um, Groove Terminator, Scott Thompson, HMC, James Ingram and myself. So um, I guess from then until now, I mean, back then I was just a DJ. Yeah. You know, now I run a club where I get to pretty much choose, pick and choose, you know, and honestly, like, you don't even realise how lucky you are here because when I was um, going out back in the day when I was 20, there was hardly ever any internationals came yeah. here. Yeah. Came to Australia at all. Yeah. It was, it was such a, um, an underground scene that it, that it hadn't spread that far. So you could only buy the records of, you know, of the people that you admired. You would never see them, hardly ever see them play. Yeah. Like, really, there was probably Derek May and Carl Cox and bugger all else that came here. Yeah. But now, you know, we have huge acts on a weekly, sometimes twice a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, like, these are good times. Yeah. These are good times. Yeah. Um, the lockout pisses me off. Yeah. I just think it's annoying. I think it's stupid. It's yeah. not smart. Yeah. It's not a smart idea. It's a dumb idea, yeah. you know, and it's not, it doesn't solve the problem. The no. problem is assholes, yeah. you know, like, like, like target assholes and leave the rest of us alone, yeah. please, you know, yeah. please do your job. I know you, I know you want an early night, yeah. you know, but the lockout is not the way, you know, yeah. to achieve it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, so Adelaide's doing all right? Oh, yeah, I think so. Very much. Very much so. Cool. Yeah. I think it's a sleeping giant, to yeah. be honest. Mm. Yeah. What do, where do you think we go in the next... Because there seems to be a bit of momentum with... And this is kind of, I guess, why we do the podcast is because we're kind of involved more with the hospitality, restaurant and that kind of... Yeah, well, we're killing it. Yeah, we are. We're killing it. Where do you think we go from here? We just keep killing it. Yeah. We are killing it. Look at Tasting Australia last year. Look at Arana. Look Huge. at Duncan. You know, yes. look at Jock. Yeah. You know, um, look at Nick Stock and, you know, Sid and Pizza Tekka and... Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much stuff going on, you yeah. know. There's restaurants opening all the time, you know. Um, you know, the small bar licenses are great, you know. Um, startups, there's so many startups. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I think it's actually great. And, and we are an undiscovered jewel, Yeah. yeah. you know. Do you think... When, you know, it was sooner or later, people are going to be onto us. Yeah. And you watch, you know... Pro House prices will skyrocket. Yeah. Treasure Get in yeah. now. Yeah. Get in now. You know. Do you think everybody in true Adelaide fashion will be like, as soon as that changes, all the people who've always whinged up until that point will all of a sudden be like, oh man, it was so good before. Yeah. Oh man, we miss what we had. Oh, it was the best then. <laughs> and we'll just. It's a character trait. Inevitable. It's, it's, a full no, it's, it's actually yeah. inevitable. It's actually yeah. inevitable. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it happens now. Yeah. You know, I have to stand there while people say, oh, yeah. you know, it's not as good as when we used to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Are they really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and then five years later go, oh, how good was it back then? Yeah. Like, Hold on, you like moved to Melbourne, like yeah, yeah, and oh, moved, mate. yeah. Man, uh, but but you know, on the other side of the coin, I find that people who bag Adelaide, yep. have either never left here, mm. yep, or never been here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or the, yeah. the never left the never left thing is is massive because. Yeah. I've always found, Dan and I have done a bit of travel together. Yeah, right. Whenever you're overseas... Of course. It doesn't take very long before you start realising... How good we got a, it. how yeah. awesome it is, and yeah. B, you just can't wait to get back. Yeah, yeah. And just how how much of a sure thing it is that you want to lay your roots and your foundation in Adelaide. Like, yeah. There's nowhere better in the world, especially at the moment with East Coast house prices being so expensive. Ridiculous. To do everything in Adelaide. It's yep. The, the standard of living, the cost of living is... I mean, we haven't had any terrorist attacks here. Nah. Touch wood. What no. Mean, mate? We're good. You know? Because, yeah. We're more laid back. We are. Yeah. It's, I kind of like being under the radar. I do too. I think I it's good. I always have this weird thought that, like, if I didn't live here and I had come here on a holiday, how much I would love it. Yeah. 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 I'd be like, yo, this is the place. Well, honestly, Dan, I have so many DJs yeah. that come for a weekend or spend a week you know, staying in my studio and they hang out and we do stuff together and we go down to the beach, you know, the southern beaches, you know, and they just can't believe the southern beaches, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just can't believe it, yeah. you know. We um, had, um, do you know James Brown? from? Of course, Matt? yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. So we did a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he, like, has this full list of just dope things that whenever friends come in from overseas... Is his list of like the untouched spots of Adelaide. I'd like to compare my list with that for oh, sure. Oh, let's like let's hear it out. Yeah, drop yeah. it. What do you got? Give us give us five to ten of Driller Jet Armstrong's must do's, must do's in Adelaide. Ooh. The under the radar ones. Ooh. Or not? It could be. Well, I think I think you definitely have to go to Pizza Teca. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you definitely have to go to Maslin's. <laughs> get, get your gear off. Yeah. Get your gear get off. Wander around. Yeah, yeah wander around. Absolutely. Yeah. Love the new beach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Um you know, people of a certain age shouldn't do it, but while you're young, definitely do it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely do it. The older the better I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> let, it, let it all yeah. hang out. I've been down to Mazlins, I've seen a few old ducks. Yeah, oh yeah, no. no. hats off to them. Hats yeah. off. Everything it's not for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, Peter Tecker and Maslin's Yeah, what Peter Tecker Oh, let me see, let me think I mean, well, even just like staying in the studio at Bridgewater Is a pretty fine thing in itself And not everybody gets the opportunity It's not a public place for a start Is that an invite only? It's kind of invite only, right. yeah, yeah That's So, great. so Would there's you a, invite the Lobster Boys? So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Oi, we'll, come, we'll <laughs> check out your record collection Yeah, definitely come and check out the place What's cranking in Bridgewater at the moment? Oh, mate, it's lights out at 6 o'clock, yeah. 6 p.m. Great. Yeah, it's great. You know, good, good like we have, all these peop- we have all these people around us in the city that, you know, that love to complain about the noise. Yeah. You know, well, I tell you, move up to Bridgewater, you'll love it. Yeah. It's 20 minutes from the city. You no know, noise. Like the, the, the walks, the koalas, you know, that you just... I live in Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I got, got koalas there, though, rooting koalas. Yeah, rooting koalas are pretty fierce up at Bridgewater. Yeah, they are. I've heard rumours. They make horrible noises. They do. Yeah. Really full-on noises. Grunting yeah. and groaning. And you hear them at night and you think, Jesus. I remember Marcellus Pittman was uh, having a cigarette late at night outside the studio and I was, I was in bed. He didn't tell me this until the next day. And he heard a, what he, you know, heard a koala. But he didn't know it was a koala. He just heard that noise. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And he took a quick drag of his cigarette and said, time to go inside. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> See, he asked us the next day what it was. He couldn't believe that it was a koala. Yeah. Yeah. Cute little animal. Yeah. Um, we can get, we do what's called a speed round around here, where we basically just fire questions at you. Go it's so it. speedy. It's go for it. Like it can be as speedy or not speedy <laughs> as we make it. Yeah, no, it's go for it. It's never been so a speed it's round. It's never been a speed <laughs> round. However, first, yeah. we do a live read for our sponsorship mm. from our favourite cafe, Larry and Lad. You ever been a part of a live read before? No. Uh, oh. Buckle in, buckaroo. <laughs> All we're sharing. All right, yeah. Normally we've got two phones, but Dan's recording. This is Larry and Lad. Hey, best friend Dan, do you hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting tingling too? Why, yes, best friend John. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you to Larry and Lad. Oh, you. Spot on. It is lovely weather for a sleigh ride together to Larry and Lad because it's smoking hot out there and I need a cold one. A cold one? Like an ice cold Bud Light here? No, no. Like one of those cool ice lattes the kids drink these days. Double shot, dash of milk, over ice. Mmm, trendy and refreshing. The perfect beverage for these toasty summer days in the most Liverpool city on the planet. And that'll sure spice up your holiday season. For fresh pastries, fresh coffee and a fresh perspective on life, steer your sleigh right into Region Arcade and see Jez and the gang of Larry and Lad. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in and enjoying the Slick Lobster podcast. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Spoken by John Dan from Slick Lobster, Jeremy Cowboy and the whole crew of Larry and Lad. <laughs> what do you think, mate? Perfect. So Dan did well, did well. Dan's never seen that before. Going in blind. Wow. Blind. Did well, mate. There's one line that I would have liked. Are you an actor, Dan, as well? Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. Must be a time. I, I can tell. Much of it, but I, I can tell. Do you know what? Funnily enough, January 18th, Ooh. one family feud. Are you really? <laughs> that classifies as acting, right? Definitely it's acting. acting it's without acting. acting. Yeah, it's acting without acting. So what do you do for that? Um, you can't really study, can you? Look, I've done <laughs> it. It's already, it's already done. Oh. Done and dusted. It's getting aired on January. Right, how'd you go? Well, I can't say, mate. Oh, it's sworn to secrecy. Sworn to secrecy. Contractual, contractual obligations. All right, driller, speed round. Right. Where are your favourite spots to go for breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, and for alcohol in Adelaide? Go. Breakfast. Um, I love Hey Jupiter. Yes. Um. Lunch, um, oh, lunch can be anywhere really where the spirit takes you. It doesn't really matter. I don't mind a view, so maybe, um, maybe the Botanic Gardens would be nice. Ooh. Uh, Botanic Gardens restaurant would be good. Nighttime, I love, um, I love, uh, uh, Africola. Yes. I love, um, uh, Orana and, the black thing below, whatever, jocks for a new <laughs> restaurant <laughs> Blackwood. Bistro Blackwood. Bistro Blackwood. That's the, it. The black sheep Bistro below. Bistro Blackwood. Um, I just, and on the way here, I stopped off and had a beer at the old, uh, at the old happy hunting ground at the Exeter. Oh. Yeah, just for old time's sake. I, I worked on the, in the front bar every Tuesday night for 10 years and the good old Nick Binns, the only bloke that ever gave me a pay rise without me asking. <laughs> a legend. Yes, the Exeter. Good answer. And coffee? Coffee. Uh, well, you know, n- no one makes coffee like I do at home. Oh, yeah. I got, I got, I got, I got the stove top. Oh, 
I get the uh, I get the coffee from um, uh, Lucia's. Okay. I use Lucia's brand coffee in the stovetop, and uh, that, you know, that one of those a day keeps you fired up for the whole day. Oh yeah. A whole day. Whole day. You don't need another one. Nah. All right. Speed, Speed round. round. Speed round. Speed round. Speed round. Favorite art project thus far? Ooh, probably the world's first Dorbus mural on the corner of Frome and Rundle. Boom. Oh. Yeah, it's it, it's so good because. Uh, Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's so. <laughs> pedophilia became a bit of an issue in the early nineties. Well. Yeah, and yep. that issue and that uh, and that mural took on a a bit of a sinister look with the old man licking the ice cream uh, and the young girl on the push bike. So the local traders wanted to change it, but they didn't want to lose it entirely because it was quite iconic. Yeah. So the only form of art that would deliver that to them was Dorbism. <laughs> and this was at the height of its controversy. Yeah. Uh, so I was allowed to paint um, <laughs> paint over that mural and still leave some of it. Um, but the best scam um, uh, as well, the beauty of this whole thing was that, that uh, the, um, the IMAX cinema yeah. was opening at the same time. Right? Yeah. Um, so I had this uh, three-storey scaffold up against the wall and I went to the IMAX uh, people, Richard, and I said, hey, Richard, like, you're about to open IMAX. I've got a massive scaffolding on the corner of Froman Rundle. We need, uh, we need some, um, some shade cloth. So for 10 grand, you can print whatever you want on a, on a massive three-story high shade cloth and we'll hang it from the mural. Oh. And we shook hands on that deal. And so I got paid 10 grand from the council for doing the project. It's plus, a easy, plus an easy 10G from IMAX. advertising. And council, when, they, when it went up, council said, we didn't say you could do any advertising. I said, but you didn't say I couldn't. <coughs> and not only that, like we need some uh, shade cloth because it's the middle of summer. So if you want to fork out another six grand to give us the shade cloth, go ahead. But we've already got it. So why don't you just forget it yeah. and move on? And they went, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. It, was, yeah, it, was, it was beautiful. That's it a, was beautiful. It's a nice That's little great. paycheck at the end of yeah, that. Mate. Yeah, mate. Planets great. aligned. That's great. That's great. Um, what would be your dream Dorb project, and would Hans Heisen feature in it? Uh, nah, I'd like to paint a real goatee on the uh, on the paint paint a goatee on the real Mona Lisa. <sighs> yeah. Well, is that like? Do you have kind of like some kind of anarchy style? Maybe when you, like the way you want to go out is doing something gnarly like that. Well, well, I mean, you know, Marcel Duchamp. Painted a moustache and a goatee on the on a, a postcard of the Mona Lisa, and he did that for a reason. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he, he is he suggesting that this could be a way of, you know, working in the future. I mean, if he had have done it on the real Mona Lisa, would we have said that Marcel Duchamp was any less of a genius? Yeah, oh, that, that would be huge. Massive call. Oh my gosh. <laughs> massive <laughs> call. Massive yeah, call. yeah, massive yeah, call. yeah. <laughs> Would you ever go into like a gallery and, or have you ever, and just leave a couple of cheeky? <laughs> no, but I, but but when we were in cheeky Japan, part? I invented this thing called planting. Go on. Which is the opposite of stealing. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so, 
So we, we took over a whole bunch of those little koalas where you squeeze the back and when you let go, the arms hang on to... Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So I had a whole bunch of those and we were in a very crowded subway train and uh, my wife was standing just to the right of me and uh, I was looking at a guy directly in front of me yeah. and just to the left, there was a lady facing the opposite way to me but her bag was over her shoulder and it was open. So I looked into her bag and I saw that she had um, a little teddy bear so I reached into my bag and I got one of the little koalas and I planted it without her knowing in her handbag. That's awesome. <laughs> and I thought it was like so funny. I was, I, was just <laughs> loving, I, just, I was just loving my work. I was just thought I was hilarious. But the guy in front of me who saw the whole thing, what his expression did not change. Ice cold. Ice cold. <laughs> did not change. Did not change. I don't know whether he was unimpressed that I... Where did you say this Maybe was? Maybe he was so impressed. He was just, <laughs> he he was just an admirer of your work. Where was this? This was in Tokyo. I was going to say, like, well, personal space and, like, you know, they're very particular right. about oh, yeah. right, rules, right. right? Maybe he just couldn't believe that someone was um, doing this. So, so then I, I took this on as a thing. You know, I would get on the train and I would deliberately try to, you know, plant a koala on someone without them knowing. Yeah. So I, I did it to this guy who had a, a, a rucksack over his shoulder and I squeezed the back of the koala and I put it on his um, strap. Yeah. But it wasn't kind of on properly. Anyway, he, we all got off on the same stop and I was like following him and the koala dropped off onto the ground and three Japanese schoolgirls who were following him, they rushed over and picked it up and they ran up to him and, <laughs> and went, oh, like excuse me, you dropped, you dropped your koala. And the, uh, and the guy was like, it's not my koala. <laughs> 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 so then there's like this kind of dilemma because, you know, th there is no owner of the koala out of all these people. And yeah. the Japanese, they just never steal anything, right? Yeah. So, so now that, you know, they have this problem because what do we do with this koala that does not belong to us? <laughs> so they walked over to the side of the train station and just sat it on the, on the shelf there. That's so Japanese. It was so Japanese. So it Japanese. was beautiful, beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Speed round. Speed round. Speed round. All right. All right. So you mentioned that you have somewhat of a record collection. Yeah. A modest, 10, a modest collection. 10,000. <laughs> Give us your... What do you reckon? Top five? What's your top five records? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it changes a lot, but there are some that I just love, like Boogie Oogie Oogie. I just love that track. I think that's the greatest disco song ever. 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 Oh, I mean, you know, there are certain there are certain tunes that are very strange that I like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, drop it. <laughs> Uh, do you know Jonah Louie? You ever heard of Jonah Louie? No. You ever heard of a track called Love Detonator? No, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> Love Detonator is a pretty, bit of a banger. pretty strange tune. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like it for that reason. Yeah. Um, I love Sam Cooke. Um, uh, you know, um, Change is going to come. Mm -hmm. Do you know the track? Sing it for us. I was born by the river in a little tent and just like the river I've been running ever since it's 
It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know, oh, oh, change gonna come. Yeah, Triller. Woo! Yeah, Triller. Love that song. Yeah, Love that song. Um, so that's three. Obviously, I mean, there are some early house tracks that just changed, changed everything, you know. Um, if I could think of them, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> say it. <laughs> um, I mean, anything by Frankie Knuckles, you know, early, really early house tunes. Yeah. I just love. Um, what do you um, What do you think of the avalanches? Yeah, I don't mind them. I don't mind them. Um, since I left you, um, I love that song. Yeah, I love that song called Frank Sinatra. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, you know, it's like a lot of it depends on the occasion as well. Like, recently I played at the um, at the official function for the Yes, you know, the Yes marriage campaign. Campaign, sure. And you know, it was pouring with rain that day. Do you remember? I do remember. And I'm out in the square, and it comes through sixty forty, and I played "Lovers in the Air," yeah. and and people were hugging Just and crying and yeah. dancing in yeah. the rain, and it was overwhelmingly beautiful yeah. and I, ha- I got a bit misty myself yeah yeah it was great it was amazing so good do you want to give us a rendition of that nah okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right i got a question for you now you didn't do your research on us but we've done our research on you oh policeman yeah yeah can you believe that true or false true what era so um <laughs> like I, uh, I was such a bad bastard at school. Yep. Terrible, terrible. And so were my friends. Yeah. We, we were a group of very, very bad children. We this is here in Adelaide. Yeah. We used to, you know, light cigarettes up in class, tell the teachers to fuck off, throw <laughs> dusters at them when they walked in the room. Yeah. You know, n- sni- what, what sniff glue down the gully. Oh yeah. Which school? Salisbury East High. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. North boy. Tough. Tough. Anyway. Um, anyway. So. <laughs> We, you know, we didn't know what we wanted to do with our lives. You know, you know, we were naughty kids, yeah. bad kids. Yeah. Anyway, um, we all went to see a Clockwork Orange <laughs> yeah. at the drive-in. Yeah. And uh, I don't Great know. Film, by the way. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember the film, but yeah. but him and his mates. Yeah. And then his mates joined the cops. Yeah. And, and we just like watching that, and we just went, hey, How hey. <laughs> You know, if you never had any burning ambition to be a cop yeah. and you just joined, you could be epic. Oh, man. Right? <laughs> so we did. So we all did. Yeah. All of you. All of us did, yeah. Like four of us joined. Four people. Four, same time. four, four mates. Group. We all joined at the same time. S- yeah. Like straight out of school? Straight out of school. So a couple yeah. of young lads yeah. Yeah. with mischief. Totally, you know, like the worst report cards ever. But the, but I mean, this was a beauty. Like I turn up to the interview with the, with the um, the sergeant, the recruiting sergeant. And he looks at my report card and goes, "Well, your report card's pretty bloody terrible." I've got to say, I just looked him straight in the eye and I go, "Sarge, that's because all my life I've wanted to be a cop." <laughs> and he just about leapt over the desk and hugged me. Honestly. <laughs> so you just trolled the police. Yeah, trolled basically. him. Yeah, basically. How long were you a cop for? Ten years, three and a half years down the police academy. That's a long trolling. Ten years. <laughs> three and a half years in the police academy. Yeah. And then uh, seven years out. Yeah. Doing what? What were you? What was your assignment? 
or riding around on push bikes in plain clothes, just, just being, yeah, just cop, you know, just driving cop. around cars. In, in the city? In the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based out, in Highland Street? In the city, out north, um, yeah, in the city and out north. And, and so you joined kind of as a joke, kind of. Absolutely, kind of. As, absolutely as a joke. Absolutely as a joke. Yeah. And it spent your 20s. Yeah. Not knowing what... Did it take you? Did you, did you become a cop? No, I never became a cop. I never became a cop. Never became a cop. But one thing that three and a half years down the police academy taught me yes. was to keep my big fucking mouth shut. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and to suck it up, you know. Um, and that was a really good experience for me because I needed that. Yeah. You know, I needed some, some self-discipline. I really did. Yeah. And it's still... You know, it holds me in good stead today. I don't have to fucking get up in the morning and do jack shit if I don't want to. Yeah. But I do. I get up early and I work. Yeah. You know, I work hard. Yeah. And I think I definitely got that from, from that kind of military style training. Yeah. You so know. what years were these? So I joined in 72, I think. 72 um, and left in 83 or 84. About halfway through 84, yeah. That would have been it. So, all right. So, you're obviously, you know, you know your music, you know your party I, scene. I was still into music then. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. everybody would come, all the other cadets would come to my room to listen to music on, in my room on my stereo. Sure. But what's going on in Adelaide in the 70s for cops? Like, what? Dude, I don't know. Have you seen that, that series Life on Mars? No, I've heard of it. I've That's what it was like. Yeah. That's what it was like. Yeah. Wow. Rough justice, the whole bit. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. The Ways and Means Act. You ever heard of that? No. Yeah. The cops used to use that a lot. Yeah. The Ways and Means Act. What? You know, it's just whatever it takes. Whatever, you know? whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever if you're an asshole, if you're an asshole and a dick, you're going to get screwed over. Yeah. You know, if you're actually all right, you might just get let off. Yeah. Cops could be a bit brutal back in those back days. Back in those days, they were. Yeah. You see some interesting stuff. So much shit. Can you believe it? Nothing surprises me. Give us the, your best cop story from your 10 years or seven years out of the academy. You know, I don't know <laughs> if that's appropriate, really. But I, um, I, I think it is. is no, nah, you can <laughs> Look, in the 70s, in the 70s on night shift, when it was pretty quiet, we, we used to go into, other, um, go into another patrol car's area and we'd bring a fake job through. <laughs> And, and when they turned up, we'd egg their car. <laughs> and, then, and then they'd put their lights and sirens on to chase us because we're trying to get away from them. We have to put ours on as well so it looks legit. <laughs> like, we get, like we're going to a job, but we're really just trying to get away from the dudes that we've just egged. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I mean, you could never get away with that now. No, no you could never, ever get away with that shit now. That's cool. You know, we used to have barbecues on night shift and shit. You know, we'd all, like... Park all the cars in a circle, like you know, like the wagons. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have barbecues with booze and everything. Yeah. We'd drink, you know. In the 70s, they were different. With the people in the car yeah. Yeah. Different times. Different times. Mm. Uh, all right, speed round. Oh, what have we got? Ooh, all right. <laughs> we're in December. Sure are. December brings about many a thing. What's many. Christmas look like in your household? Christmas is going to be pretty, uh, pretty hectic. For the first time, we're going to Jeremy, my, cousin, um, my wife's cousin's house, for Christmas. He's, he's currently residing in an old c 
cathedral-like church on Young Street. Um, and uh, so I take it in turns. My wife and I take it in turns. This year, it's, it's my wife's side of the family to have Christmas sure. on actual Christmas. So we'll go and see my parents, um, uh, you know, in the week leading up to, and we'll have a little Christmas dinner with them. But then my side of the family will go, you know, and do their whole thing. Mm. Whereas my wife and I will be, uh, um, we'll be doing Christmas with her side of the family at Jeremy's place. Sure. It'll be a pretty big affair, I think. Um, we've got a couple of, you know, stragglers coming along who, who don't have really any family here. Yeah. So we'll take those along with us and share in the festivities and all that. And any Armstrong traditions? Uh, well, <laughs> my family always cook a, a roast dinner, no matter how hot it is. <laughs> always, always Christmas a, roast. Yeah, Christmas roast. Yeah. So your parent, this is like your. Is this a your family tradition? My family's so your tradition. Your parents obviously yeah. lived in the UK for yeah. So until they were you know, full adults. That's right. Yeah. Well, they had three. My dad had three kids. Yeah. The youngest was my sister, 18 months, and I was seven. Yeah. And my brother was in between us. Um, so he came here not knowing a soul in 1964, which to me is such a bold move, you know. So courageous. Yeah. So bold courageous. move, yeah. Um, and just they love a roast for Christmas, regardless of whether it's... Look, you know, I've suggested that, you know, maybe we could do some prawns one year, but no, yeah. no. <laughs> Sacrilege! Yeah, There'll be no prawns at <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> are, they, are they from London? They yeah, they're from, yeah, the Londoners, yeah. You got a football team? Uh, West Ham. Ooh. Totally shit. Oh, you beat Chelsea on the weekend. Did we? Yeah, one You're minute. kidding. No. It was huge. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't know. believe we beat Chelsea. Oh, I know we were I knew we were playing beat. Chelsea, but I just thought no hope. Yeah. That's Probably incredible. Uh but I mean I've made the full transition, you know, to to Australia, like um, like my whole family has as well, and they they are all crazy port supporters. Are they crazy port supporters? Yourself included? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. In fact, my 2018 membership arrived in the post this morning. Oh, at the pair. Yeah, but 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 the parents are life members, you know. Um, uh, when when uh, my dad turned 90, uh, Russell Ebert, Brad Ebert, and Jack Homsch went to his house to wish him happy birthday. And That's it's awesome. Yeah. Amazing, is amazing. He, is he one of like the older members of the club like would he be the well he's 91 so he yeah, must be, he'd have yeah. To be up there. yeah yeah my nana's 94 amazing she's, like, she's not a member yeah. but she's full like Alberton, yeah sanfl yeah right LA. right she's, well she you know, lit on it. yeah we used to go every week to the football my mum would take us to the footy every week yeah and my dad would come after work that's awesome and meet us at the ground it's a full tradition full tradition yeah Love that. and this was you know way before there was any AFL yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. there was just VFL, SANFL, yeah. you know. The good old days. Yeah. Um, well, I'm pretty happy with the way things are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. More of, more of this. More of this, you know, um, hopefully a little bit less misunderstood <laughs> would be good. Um, hopefully, you know, some real support on the side for what I do yeah. would be great. Because, uh, you know, it kind of annoys me a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm having great fun at my gigs yeah. still. And, you know, that can just, I can just keep doing that for God knows how long. 
you know. As long as, like, you're only as good as your last gig, you know. And, you know, I've had the so many nice comments about what I did on Saturday night for Just Tim and, yeah, yeah <laughs> for Tim and Edwina at their wedding. Yeah. yeah. Slayed it. <laughs> Slayed it. We had a wedding on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan was in it. Yeah. I was the MC. Yeah. Dan was DJ. Oh, yeah. How'd it go? Very good. Mate. Killed it? Tour oh. de force. So what'd you do? Game over. So what about your tracks? What Listen. was? What'd you do? Did you cover the board? Did you get the? Did you get we the oldies? The kids? We did it all. His his parents are big Midnight Oil fans. So right. We had to put some oils in there. Handy. No, we Handy to know. Yeah. We went there. We actually. It was a really good mix. Up. Yeah, we we did it all. Yeah. Handy to know what they what they like. Yeah. There's a couple of you know only takes a couple of tracks that they just go oh. Yeah. Very forgiving crowd though. The mood was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the good. mood was right. No matter what we were playing. Yeah. We no, you've got to strike the right balance though. You can't just go there, you know, with your head up your ass and play techno all night. No, that didn't happen. Very true. Right. You've got to you've got to acquiesce. You know. <laughs> Listen, I've probably heard my Sharona about ten thousand times. Right. Yeah. It hit a new level for me on Saturday night. Right. It just really got me. Good song. You know, like if you haven't heard it for a long, long time, it's a great song. That is a track. That's Dan a great track. Really on like, the like I was there when it came out. They fucking thrashed that thing to death. So they should though. Yeah. People, were pe people were killing themselves and, le and leaving suicide notes and it was just the lyrics of My Sharona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great drum track. Like back to the like, you know, 10 years getting your, you know, like is it kind of weird still kind of fighting against the man in your later years? No, it's great. Keeps Does you young. Keeps you young, keeps yeah. you, young you know? Yeah. Like, you don't want to be too comfortable, do you? No. Nah. Is that the same? You know? Yeah, I think so. Like, like, yeah, it just keeps you, keeps you on your toes. Yeah. You know? Like, if you get... Like, you don't want to be like David Bromley, do you? Just churning out the same shit over and over again. Half the time, not even doing it yourself. Yeah. See, that's, yeah, when you start getting other people to do your stuff for you. Yeah. Lost it. Exactly. I mean, how hard is it to do a whale painting? You just uh, black out most of the art and then stick a googly eye in the corner. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs>